we went out for lunch, walking the streets of New York, and uh, we were just overwhelmed, both of us, just a number of people and uh, just a hopelessness. <coughs> pardon me. They, <coughs> pardon me. They seem to just uh, have no purpose in life. And I began humming. Now, you do not want me to hum. <laughs> so you, he gives a new definition of special music, believe me. <clears throat> but begin to hum that, and we, we talked about how while touching was people need the Lord. Absolutely do. That's what we want to talk about tonight. Now, last night, if you tried to follow my outline, let me make a disclaimer. I have no legal responsibility to help you fill in the blanks or even follow my outline. I do make an effort at it, and someone said, no, I missed the last two words. There's a good reason if you did. Don't think you're losing it. I didn't give it. We shortened the message a little because of time, and so I left that out. But I will bring those two words tomorrow. See, what are they? I don't have a clue. So I have to go look at my outline. Uh, let's open our Bible to Acts chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read most of the chapter, but I'm going to deal with just part of it. But the first part will act as, as a, I guess, a, a link to what we want to speak about, because tonight's theme is all... Judea and Samaria. So we want to cover that and then move a little bit further beyond that because tomorrow morning, it won't be from the book of Acts. It's a special message that I, I think the Lord will bless from the little epistle of 3 John. We want to talk about that tomorrow morning. So Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 from the New King James Translation. Now Saul was consuming unto his death, as Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Look at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named, called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them, with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when he had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone in whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, 
Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when he had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now we'll stop right there and ask the Lord to bless us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, how precious it is. We, as we read a, a verse or a chapter or a book, our hearts rejoice for we're reading the very word of God. I pray, Lord, you might teach us from your word tonight. Help us to be Christians concerned for missions and doing something about it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord used persecution. Last time we talked about Jerusalem, Jesus said, all the world to the remotest part of the earth. Well, like a lot of Christians, they kind of got settled in one spot. And they stayed in Jerusalem. I bet it was great. How would you like to have been a part of that first church in Jerusalem? People getting healed, apostles preaching. What a, what a wonderful, I mean, thousands of people. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. Who wanted to leave? Well, God forced them out with persecution. But what I want you to see is they were all scattered except the apostles. The apostles had to stay. They were the leaders, the core of the church. So all that were scattered were basically what we call today laymen. One was Philip. We found out as a deacon. And Philip went down to Samaria. Samaria. <laughs> see, the Jews hated the Samaritans. We don't have time to go into all the reasons they hated them. One reason is they were half-breeds in their mind. They had been settled in the land after uh, Israel was dispersed. Uh, the enemies of Israel brought Gentiles into the lands. Some of the poorest Jews stayed there, mixed their blood with them, so they were Samaritans. They had their own Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They worshiped on the different mountain, Mount Gerizim. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. But Jesus said, Jerusalem and all Judea, so they were going to all Judea, and Samaria. Who would go to Samaria? Philip did. And God blessed him. Because God blessed him, the devil began to work. That's the way it always is. We were speaking today at lunch about how other religions just seem to get a pass on persecution. Have you notice that? <laughs> you can say you almost anything in America. Unless you're a Christian, get rid of that stable seat. Take that cross down. Don't mention the G word. But if you're a Muslim or a Shintoist or whoever, whatever, that's fine. We want to celebrate your holidays and we want to give you all the leeway we can give you. Why is that? Because Satan knows these religions are false and Christianity is true. He can take everybody to hell and the other religions but he wants to stop. He's already got them. So he wants to keep others from coming to Christ. That's what the Bible says. That God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not lest the glorious gospel be preached and they see the light and come to the light. So he began to work, and oh, we can talk theologically about he was saved or not. Not everyone that believes is saved. Oh, heresy, I thought you were a Baptist. I am. Someone said, Baptist born, Baptist bred, when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I'm Baptist. But Jesus talked to those who had believed in him, but he did not commit himself to them because he knew who were not true believers. There's a big difference in a mental ascent and heart-saving faith. I don't believe Simon's a believer. Of course, Peter didn't either. And so Satan tried to disrupt this. Well, it was taken care of. Now, during this time, Peter and John came down to Samaria. It was a big deal for them to come to Samaria, to the city of Samaria, the capital city. And they came down for the express purpose of putting a stamp of approval on Philip's work. He was just a layman, just a deacon. 
and going to the Samaritans, they heard words. This is what's happening. People getting saved, miracles performed by a deacon. They went down, and sure enough, these people are really getting saved. So, Jerusalem, all Judea, now Samaria. I love this last part. The Bible in verse 25 says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, get this, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Peter and John, they said, okay, let's preach too. <laughs> now, Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We think of Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius. That's Caesarea. Your pastor's in Caesarea once in the Holy Land had nothing to say. <laughs> Caesarea. You have to ask me about that sometime. <laughs> Don't ever tell me a secret, right? <laughs> uh, he, that was not, he was his first Gentile. But he was not representing the uttermost part of the earth. This does, let me show why. Let's go on and look. This is account of the first of the end of the earth convert in the New Testament era. And there's some things I call missionary essentials, things that are absolutely necessary. You would think after all this was going on, Satan was defeated, or at least he was put in the back, not even defeated, but he was put in the back seat. The, the ministry in Samaria was vetted. It's a genuine ministry. Samaritans are getting saved. The devil's being thwarted. What a revival. Philip, go down to a desert road. What is that all about? This leads us to these missionary essentials. essentials. What, does it, what does it take to be a good missionary, whether it's here or the uttermost part of the earth? What does it take for these ones we've heard or tried to hear? <laughs> oh, I suffer with you, brother. <laughs> Everything works well until the actual thing happens and it just goes haywire. Circumstances beyond our control. What does it take? First, an obedient servant. I like Philip. We'll talk more about it. But look at verse 26 and 27a. That's the first part of it. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke adds, this is desert. <laughs> that's not the main road. That's not the great trunk road <laughs> from Egypt and from the, the great sea all the way up to Babylon, to Matt. It's not that road. It's another road. It's a, the road to Gaza, a desert road. So he arose and went. We'll stop with that just now. He arose and went. It takes an obedient servant to be a good missionary. It's not easy to leave your people. It's not easy to leave your country, your culture, your language. He didn't have to leave his language. He did have to leave a revival going on in Samaria. Now, a lot of pastors, I've been one for 41 years, we tend to be tempted to leave our churches when things are going bad. Actually, you can understand that, can't you? We kind of get down the mouth. Nobody knows who cares. And nobody knows who's Things are going great. In my churches, when things are going well and the offerings are good and people are getting saved and, and people are joining the church, and you look like, hey, this is, yeah, this is going okay. It'd be rare to stand up and say, you know what? God's called me away from here. He's <laughs> the other way. So things are going well, and God says, go, leave the work. And but the apostles are gone. Who's going to train them? Who's going to disciple them? Go to this desert road. You know something? God didn't say why. He just said go. 
It takes an obedient servant. That's exactly what he did. The desert road to Gaza was less traveled, and God didn't reveal why he was to go. But Philip obeyed the Lord. That's what I want you to see. Without hesitation, without question. You know what? This is how faith is expressed. Without hesitation, without exception. Now I had a little bit of time, more than I had last night, so I'm going to tell you a story. Once upon a time, when I was in Brother Bill and I went to the same Bible college, Midwestern Baptist College. When I was, I graduated in 1973. My pastor was from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Dr. Bill Denoff Fellowship Baptist Church, who's with the Lord now, which is, you know, just a month or so ago. And I was graduating, and I'd already planned to go to New Jersey and start a church. We had a professor named Paul Bannon. He'd stand up and we'd go east, young man, go east. So I was going to go to New Jersey, where I had no idea. We had our, our big U-Haul packed. Everything was packed, ready to go on Monday morning. Sunday night we graduated. After we went to a restaurant called The Landmark, we called it The Landmine because the food would blow up in your stomach. We went to The Landmark restaurant, and Dr. Denoff said these words, John, don't make the mistake many students do. I said, what's that, Dr. Denoff? Oh, they get out of Bible college one night and leave for the field the next day. <laughs> really? <laughs> See, what you need to do is stay here and work and make forays to the very areas you want to go and find out where you want to go and rent a house and find the circumstances. <sighs> I didn't say a word. <laughs> Next morning we got up and drove to New Jersey. Why? I knew in my heart that's where God wanted us. And I'm going to tell you, God opened every door. It was, it was amazing to see. The point is this. If you say, this is what God has called me. If missionaries say, this is what God has called me to do. It might seem unlikely. You might think, what are you doing? If they're stepping out by faith, God will bless. And that's what happened in Philip's case. When the Spirit spoke to Philip about overtaking the chariot, the Ethiopian, Ethiopian minister of finance, that's what it was. We'll read that in a minute. But look what it says. Verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. He said, all right, I guess I'll go. You're on a desert road, Philip, standing there waiting. Here comes this, this huge caravan. Now understand that Candace, we'll see, the queen of Ethiopia, was the ruler. Because the people in that area of Ethiopia, which was like old Nubia and part of Egypt, they believed that the king was related to specifically the sun god. Like Pharaoh, the son of the sun god. And same way in the old Ethiopian area. So the queen basically ran the country. He was the minister of finance for the most powerful woman in the nation. So he wasn't just alone. He had a huge retinue. He was coming along, and Philip saw them, and God said, Go, join yourself. And he took off running. That's obedience. Say, why? What would you think if you saw this Jew running toward an Ethiopian thing? Most of them say, <laughs> he might be trying to rob him. He might be trying to assassinate him. It didn't matter. He went in obedience to Christ. And the Lord blessed because of it. Stuart Custom notes this. Since he was the secretary of the treasury of the powerful queen, he doubtless had a large retinue of soldiers and servants with him. He could have been a danger to the enemy. God's call to go to unlikely places <laughs> at strange times uh, demands radical obedience to the Lord. It's the only way the gospel will ever reach the end of the earth. Radical obedience means what? It means if God calls us, if God calls these missionaries we've seen, 
It doesn't matter how logical or illogical it seems, what other people think. If we have a peace in our heart, God has called me here. Radical obedience says, I'll go. That's faith. I would not, as a pastor, encourage support for any missionary that was not willing to step out of faith. You hear the same story over and over again, don't you, Brother Bill? Well, we're down to 80% support. I don't know how we'll be able to stay in the field. You don't find many wealthy missionaries. They don't go for the money. They don't go for the prestige. They go out of radical obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the first thing it took. Lord, uh, Lloyd Ogilvy said, the call of the Lord of all creation has ordained that he would do his work through us. Our seeking of spirits, guides and obeying what he wants us to do and say is the way he works to bless the world. God uses us, the reformer said, as the means to see people come to faith in Christ. So Philip simply obeyed the Lord. Matthew 24, 14, the English Standard Version says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through all the world as a testimony to the nation's and then the end will come. The proclamation of the gospel is our goal. We have a part in it by giving. They have a part in it by going and speaking the word of God. Remember last night, I want to make it clear, 2 Corinthians 2.15, because that verse means so much to me. We are the fragrance of life unto life of those who believe, of death unto death of those that don't. I mentioned that Brother Bill knows, of course, being a pastor, but this is a Roman picture. In Corinth, they knew what would happen when a Roman army or a legion would come back victorious. They would celebrate by the burning of incense. And to the people who had been delivered from the enemy, to the people who were the subjects of Rome and had been saved from the barbarians or the enemy, it was a fragrance of life. We're saved. In that parade were prisoners in chains. And they were being brought back as defeated enemy who would be executed. The fragrance of death unto death. Everyone, you, me, or a missionary, gives the gospel to either smells life or smells death. What a responsibility. So it requires, first of all, radical obedience. Secondly, it requires a seeking sinner. Let's go look again at chapter, the last part of 27 and down to verse 28. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. And <laughs> he's run to the chariot. And had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I need to spend some time on this. This man was what would be called a seeker. But we have a conflict there. Because Romans says, no man seeks after God. They've all gone out of the way. All the ways become corrupt. So what is going on here? What about a seeking sinner? God commands man to seek him and they will be found. And he will be found. Isaiah chapter 55. He was reading from Isaiah. He was reading from this chapter. Look at verse 6 and 7. Says, Let me read it to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God's words says, seek the Lord while he can be found. Yet, because of man's depravity, he will never seek God on his own. He runs the other way. How do I know that? Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. Get this, brothers and sisters. 
There is no one who seeks after God. They're all headed the other way. John MacArthur writes, judging for the vast number of religions in the world, with millions of zealous adherents, one would think that a great many people are diligently seeking God. But Scripture makes clear that all religious systems and efforts are in realities attempt to escape the true God and to discover and manufacture false gods or ones like them. So that's paganism. That's American paganism, too. Let me illustrate. My God, someone says, would never send a person to hell. Anyone ever say that to you? They have just created an idol called their God. Why do people say, well, I believe in God as I understand him. Doesn't matter whether we understand him or not, that doesn't change the nature of God. And so, man in his depravity will, not, instead of seeking God, will seek to create his own God, his own system. I was telling Brother Bill one of the sad things in my life, and I don't want to get too many rabbit trails. I even, sometimes in my sermon, have a little thing with a rabbit trail and a circle and a slash to it, no rabbit trails, because that gets me in trouble. One of the great sadnesses in my life, and a lot of this is on my shoulders, because I wasn't the best witness. I didn't mean I was immoral. I had a tough time witnessing to my older brother, who died. He died a Jew. He was raised in a Christian home. He was older than me. He went to Israel for a company. He married a Jewess over there. He came back to America to Bexley, Ohio, a Jewish suburb of Columbus, and, and, and became a Jew. He even had a bar mitzvah. I half-heartedly tried to talk to my brother, but I was a baby brother. He was loud and profane. So we get along, we try to love him to Christ, but he was really not much interested. And he died, and I went to his funeral. And on his coffin was a star of David. It was a Jewish graveyard. And it was so sad, they would not use Gentile, they would not carry the body because of the law. Jews can't touch dead bodies. They had these guys in this graveyard carry his coffin. They wouldn't touch it. They put it halfway down. All the people had a little then a little rag on the pin on the rabbi wouldn't pin one on me because I was a Baptist pastor, although it was his brother. And every one would come up and take a shovel of dirt and throw it in my brother's coffin and think of one of his good works. What a position that put me in. Because I was standing there thinking, all his righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And I could I wouldn't do it. The shovel passed by. I could not do it. At the end, all the people they gave little ribs, they what were they for? Every Jew there took that ribbon and tore it like rending their garments. I went back to his widow's house to change clothes, get back to North Carolina, and all the mirrors were covered because it had been 30 days of mourning. I moved the cover to change clothes and put the cover back, and I thought to myself, how pathetic. Why would my brother fall for this? This is, you think you're serving God, but you're escaping the true God. And yet I talked to him about the Lord. He didn't want to hear it. So, God says, seek me, but men will not seek God unless God works in their heart. And that's why we pray for people to be saved. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They hold it down. 
Recently, an atheist, not too long ago, an atheist named Anthony Flew, you might have heard of him, became a Christian. He said he could deny the truth no longer. Others have destroyed his reputation. And one man, I can't think of his name, he said, if God were appearing to me right now, I'd deny him. So his atheism is not science-based, it's Romans 1.18-based. Suppressing the truth of God. So what about this man? When someone is seeking the Lord, it's because the Lord is working in their heart. Never forget that. You knock down as your pastor has literally thousands of doors. Thousands. There's probably three or four thousand homes in Pennsville, New Jersey, a town at the time of 16,000. My wife and I have knocked on every door in that town. Some got saved, most did not. Most did not even care. It's New Jersey. Most of them were rude. A few came to faith in Christ. I used to have such a burden about that. So I realized, wait a minute. I'm the savior of life or death. I give the gospel. If God's working, I'm an instrument. If God's not working in their heart, there's not a thing I can do about it because they're suppressing the truth and not seeking God. So here's a man who's seeking the Lord. This, this is a great mystery. God is working in his heart. Look with me at John chapter 6. Verse 45, 44 and 45. You see, believe me, some of God are the free will of man. I said, yes. Say, what you say? Yes. Here it is in the Bible. John 6, 44. Our Lord's words. No one can come to me. What? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard. And learn from the Father comes to me. Everyone whose heart God opens comes to the Lord. But wait a minute, we're not through there. Verse 65. Look what it says. Therefore I said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So God was working in the heart of this Ethiopian. Who would have thought it? But wait a minute, who would have thought that Saul the Pharisee was fighting against the goats pricking his heart? We do not know whose heart God is working in. So you cannot preach the gospel to the wrong person. You can't. These missionaries that go to places and they might be there 50 years and see two or three people saved, they're not failures. If they've gone in obedience to Jesus Christ and they're proclaiming the truth, they're there as God's agents and God, I'll show you in a minute, will open some hearts to the truth. That's where this man is at. The eunuch was seeking God. How do we know that? Well, he was returning from a 500-plus mile pilgrimage. <laughs> I always like that expression as a crow flies. If you're a crow in West Virginia, you need a garment. You can't fly. It's too crooked. <laughs> so always as a crow flies. As a crow flies, it was 500-plus miles. The Ethiopia of that day was located in what's today known as Sudan, and extended from Aswan, Egypt, in the north to Khartoum in the south, was known then as Nubia, 500 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem, by chariot. I think your pastor's like me. I was riding with him today. We were trying to get out of a, a place, get on the highway. He had about the same reaction I do. Just we're impatient. And I'll get out on the highway, and I hate when we play lame bingo. Don't you? Just, oh. My wife said, honey, there's no finish line. Just calm down. But just, oh. 
And I really hate to get the guys, somebody really saw, I was going to get off tonight, get off 76. He said, you're going to miss your exit, you're going to miss your exit. I said, I'm not going to miss my exit. You're going to miss your exit. <laughs> Got behind this truck. <sighs> he was like the Ethiopian Union. <laughs> I said, I'll never get there. But I was afraid to pass the secret of 47 years of marriage. I obeyed. I stayed in the lane. So think, 500. And we get upset when there's female at 65 and the guy's doing 55 or less like this trucker was. Imagine 500 miles on these bad roads through hot desert as the minister of finance of Ethiopia. He really wanted the truth. Did he not? Oh, the way to Jerusalem. Now, here's what I want you to think about. The Romans, I take a while to find this, the Romans regarded Ethiopia as, they called it this, the end of the earth. So the guy at the end of the earth was not really Cornelius. He was the first Gentile for sale, though he was probably a Gentile as well. But this man lived 500 miles from where the Great Commission was given. <coughs> But God didn't send Philip 500 miles. He sent him to a desert road, and he obeyed. And here comes this guy who's against all nature, is seeking God. How exciting. Let's look some more about it. If he was an actual eunuch, called the Ethiopian eunuch, he would never have been allowed to become a full Jew. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, He was emasculated by crushing mutilation, should not enter the assembly of God. If he had been emasculated... If he'd been castrated, he could not ever be a Jew. He could never really be part of the synagogue worship. I don't know if he was or not. It's common in the ancient world, Stuart Custard said, for a court official of a queen to be castrated. He probably was a real eunuch. So you were Ethiopian, 500 miles from Jerusalem, and you had no chance of ever being part of the Jewish people following Messiah. He was hungry for the truth. Something else. He was in possession of the scroll of Isaiah. The scroll of Isaiah. Do you know how much they cost? It could be a year's wages of a laborer to get the scroll of a short book. He had Isaiah. He was paying dearly to read the word of God. He was on a 500-mile journey with little hope of ever becoming part of the accepted congregation of the day. And he was reading. He was reading. Where? Isaiah. Where? Isaiah 53. The greatest passage in Isaiah about Jesus Christ dying for sinners. Let me go back and look at it with you. Isaiah 53. I'll just read it. You just want to listen. Isaiah 53, he was reading uh, verse 6 and 7, so we'll go back to verse 3. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, imagine this Ethiopian reading this, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
He would come to what he was reading. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears aside, so it opened not his mouth. Do you think he was reading Isaiah 65 1? If I paid a year's wages for a scroll, I'd read the whole scroll. Isaiah 65 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. The Jews said, we will not have this man rule over us. This Ethiopian was seeking. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called out, called by my name. The uttermost part of the earth. The Jews refused the Ethiopian said, I've got to go and find this one whom Isaiah writes about. <laughs> and God said, run, Philip, join yourself to this chariot. And he did. We can be assured that there are people seeking Christ all over the world. It doesn't seem that way. I joke, kind of tongue-in-cheek sarcasm, about North Carolina, which I love dearly. You want me to sing, nothing could be finer than to be in care. I won't, but. There are more, here's my joke, there are more Christians in North Carolina than there are people. I've never met an unsaved person. At least I've met, never, never met a person who thinks they're unsaved. One day, someone stole all four of air conditioners. I was out on vacation in, in Arizona seeing my son. Deacon called, pastor, they stole four air conditioners to get the copper. Four air conditioners, $10,000 worth of air conditioning to get 50 bucks of copper. Luckily, we had good insurance. They replaced it. They were dying. All the things that God in his wisdom gave us four new trains. Nothing stops a train. The insurance company says, you better put a fence around that pastor, which we got three bids. Guys came. Good, fresh meat. Let me ask you. Are you a child of God? You're, yes, sir. I say you choir preacher. God bless you. Secondly, I teach Sunday school. Third one, my wife knows I'm not making this up. I'm a deacon. UPS man is a believer. Office Depot delivers. Two believers. I'm beginning to think, maybe I ought to go to the mission field because North Carolina is covered. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. Most, I would say, great majority, walk to house, pray to prayer. Their lives do not, their lives do not back up the fact that they're really believers. I call it a nod to God. But in Carolina, in Ohio, in New Jersey, in Ethiopia, in Italy, all over the world, in the most unlikely place, in Yemen, there are people who are seeking because God's working in their heart. So what does it take? It takes someone needs to go. They need to be on that road. Someone needs to be on the road when the Ethiopian passes by. Let me share some scriptures with you. We can be assured there are seeking souls all over the world. Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song. Now, the, the lamb has just received the scroll. There was great crying in heaven because no one's worthy of the scroll. They gave it to the lamb on the throne. And here's what they sang. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. If the word of God can be taken literally, and it can, 
in heaven will be somebody from every tongue and language and people and nation. No exceptions. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. I almost said period, but that's politically that's a hot word right now, so I'll move on. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude, get this, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the land. <laughs> Does God want us on the road? He wants them, those we call missions on the road. Go, Philip, and he went. And here's this guy that says, oh, can someone show me the truth? So what else is required? It requires a clear proclamation of the gospel. Verse 29 to 35, back to the book of Acts. Then Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? I love his answer. How can I? Unless some of the guys, when he asked Philip, the word parakaleo is a very tender word. New King James says he asked, as most translations do. The word parakaleo is used of the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He encouraged him. Please, get this picture. Do you understand what you're reading? How can someone show me? Please, please, please come up and show me. So he begged him and he got up. And the place of the scripture, verse 2, to which he read, was this we read. He has led as a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before he sheared his silence, he opened out his mouth. He read, we know, from what's called the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, because that's what they had. That was what for sale. He didn't read Hebrew. Guess what? He was reading a translation of the Bible. Huh. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare a generation for his life was taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you. And it's in the Greeks intense, please, please, I'm asking. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preach Jesus to them. <laughs> it's enough to make a Baptist shout, isn't it? He preached Jesus. I mean, God's providence, the eunuch was reading probably reading aloud. As I was researching this, I found out that in that day, most people would read aloud so others could hear them. So he's reading aloud and Philip's hearing this. The greatest Old Testament passage about the sacrifice of Christ, and Philip seized upon this. Now, the word preach, he preached on him Jesus. This stops a lot of people. I'm not a preacher. I can't do that. It's unfortunate our English translations say preached because the word is uelengidzo. I gotta get it right. You ain't get it. Not easy with buck teeth. You ain't Galizzo is the word. It means to announce good news. Guess what? Anybody can announce good news. Guess what, eunuch? Jesus Christ died for sinners. You're a sinner. If you will put your faith in Christ, you can be saved. Who can't do that? I don't think you have to have three points in a poem. And know Hebrew and Greek and be able to alliterate. It's just simply telling the good news. The Net Bible says this way, as the New English translation is an internet Bible, it's, it's kind of good. So Philip started speaking and beginning with the scripture, proclaim the good news to G about Jesus to him. <laughs> no, Philip only began at this scripture. I'm sure he used more. I'm sure he went on. I'm going to read a little bit on Isaiah 58, 8 through 10, last part. 
For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. They made his grave of the wicked, but and but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, and no intent to deceit, found his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He said, he did this, eunuch, for you. Can you imagine the excitement on that eunuch's face? So biblical mission must be clear about two things, the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ, he is the son of God. There's some, and I'm with the, I understand the angst of Tyndale Bible translation now because they're working with, with a Muslim part of the world and for the Muslims to hear that Jesus Christ is the son of God is blasphemy against Allah to them. And they're waiting, how can we translate this differently? I'm not part of the translation committee and I would not want to be because what a decision to make. But we all need to understand this. The gospel is offensive to everybody. And you cannot compromise who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of God. I don't understand the Trinity. But I know the Bible teaches it, so I accept it. He's the Son of God. Only the Son of God can do what Jesus Christ did. That's who He is. In the work of Christ, He died on the cross for our sins. He just didn't die as a martyr, didn't die as an example. He died to pay for the sins of those who had ever put their faith in Him. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says, God made Him who knew no sin, get this, to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. C.S. Lewis calls this a great exchange. Sinners give Christ their sin. He gives us his righteousness. Not human righteousness, the very righteousness of God. Glory. And that's what the work of Christ is. We have to preach the missionary do active and passive obedience. Passive obedience is he lived as a son of the law in perfect harmony with the law, always obeying the Father. Active obedience is to going to the cross. Father, to be your will, then I'll go. And he did. The personal work of Christ we have to be preached. This can be challenging and dangerous, especially in Muslim countries and other nations. In places where you cannot understand, with 19 grandchildren, how many times I've been asked, where did God come from? Huh. My son Tim was going through a Bible school with his two little daughters. They homeschooled little Addie's name my mom, Adelaide. Addie and Abby. Abby's three, Addie's five. Smart little girl. There was a picture in the Bible storybook of Pentecost with a flame of fire. And Addie looked at that and she said, I just don't get it. <laughs> and Abby said, did the fire burn their heads? <laughs> Tim said, girls, let's go up to bed. <laughs> you can't, if you can't answer Pentecost, how can you answer where did God come from? The fact is, we just preach. We have, I love what, I love what I think John MacArthur said. We're not the cooks. We're not the chef. We're just the delivery people. I don't have to defend the Bible. I have to explain the Bible. I've simply declared the Bible because it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. So missionaries like Philip just preach the truth. If God's working in hearts, people will believe it. If he's not, no matter what you say, no matter what music you sing, no matter how you dress, no matter how many <laughs> committees you have that help you out, they're not going to believe. Their hearts aren't open to the truth. So we just 
encourage our missionaries and ourselves, just give the gospel. Right? And we're either under life or under death. Their call, not ours. Our lips to their ears. God's word to their hearts. That's all that can make a difference. Support missionaries are essential in missionary endeavors. We must never forget the main thing is the proclamation of the gospel and making of disciples. That's our mission. Finally, I almost might finish on time, and then I'll, I rarely finish on time, so I have paddles here to resuscitate me. I actually finish on time. The final thing is a missionary essential is a public profession of faith. Baptists love these verses. Verse 36. And we went down the road, they came to some water, and he said, see, here's water, what does it mean to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, and he answered, and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right answer. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and Enoch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Public expression of faith. The eunuch had knowledge of the significance of, had, uh, of, significance of baptism because he says, hey, what hinders me from being baptized? This is a very Baptist verse because I have a son that's a Presbyterian pastor, Bible-believing Presbyterian, but he's a pagan Baptist, sprinkled babies. Um, and I like to talk about this. I said, here is the finance minister of Ethiopia with a huge retinue of chariots. You think he's got a water bottle? You think? But he waits and comes to a body of water and says, here's water. I said, David, if, the, if, if Philip was a Presbyterian, they could have baptized the whole retinue with one canteen. But he had to wait for the water and go down into the water and come up back out of the water. And he went on his way rejoicing. He said, what's so big about that? For us, not much, because baptism doesn't mean much in America. You do this in a Muslim country. You do this in Israel. You do this in a third world country and see what happens. It required, but he didn't say, oh, you better not. I don't know how they'll take it in Ethiopia. Public expression of faith is essential for believers before they can be disciples. Baptism is evidence of faith in Christ. It's a serious matter. We need to take it seriously. He wants ways to rejoice. And you know, early church history says this eunuch, I don't know, it's early church history, but it says that this eunuch became the founder of what's called the Coptic Church, which is still in Egypt. My wife and I have been to Egypt, and the Coptic Church is not a believing church these days, by and large. But he founded the Coptic Church. So, through Philip, the gospel went what the Romans considered the remotest part of the earth. Well, it wasn't, but it was pretty remote, 500 miles from Jerusalem. But wait a minute, we're not finished. Verse 40, but Philip was found, Philip was found at Azotus. <laughs> and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, where he settled down. Azotus. Look it up. You know what it used to be? Ashdod. Ashdod, a Philistine city. Azotus, Ashdod, was a pagan port city filled with and God said, you're done on the road. He's an Ashdod. Wait a minute. He might have thought, Brother Bill, what did I do? <laughs> Samaria? The desert? Ashdod? But he preached until he came to Caesarea. 
And years later, well not years later, much later in Acts 21.8, Luke refers to him to the house. He went, went to the house, Paul went to the house of Philip the Evangelist. An evangelist is not a guy with a briefcase that comes and says, have a pack of pew night. I'm going to preach a different sermon every night and give away yo-yos with Jesus loves you on. That's not an evangelist. An evangelist is one who proclaims the good news. An evangelist is a gospel-giving missionary. But we, unfortunately, have assumed this word missionary from a Latin word missio, which comes from the Roman Catholic Church. So we basically assume missionaries. Missionaries are evangelists. Philip was a missionary. He went from here to there to there, preaching the gospel. And everywhere he went, he obeyed the Lord. I hope we'll learn from this remarkable, <laughs> it's a remarkable passage. <laughs> All the way from Jerusalem, persecution, to Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth, and he didn't even have to leave the country to do it. 